Well, so Chris had asked me to, uh, to preach today, and he, uh, he said, I want you to do the early service, and he said, I want you to, uh, I want you to wear a suit, and I'm like, Ugh. but he didn't say anything about a tie, so when I, I went to pull one out last night, and I was like, nope, and uh, so I guess I'm going to start off like this. Um, my dad and I, for probably 15 years, I made, I wanted to come, but I said, y'all got to sit in the balcony. Um, they, uh, my dad and I, for probably 15 years, have always gone on a, uh, a week hunting trip together. And a lot of time, it, a lot of the time has been at our camp on the Washtenaw River duck hunting. Last few, year, last few years, we've, we've spent uh, a little more time deer hunting, and we've been spending that week in, in really extreme South Texas, probably about 40 minutes or so from the Mexican border. And, um, and, and I look forward to it every, every year. Well, this year we, we went, and as we, uh, after we got down there, they were just talking, and we are just, you know, you, you kind of have that camp talk. Everybody's just talking about what they want to see, what they would like to shoot, all this kind of stuff. And one of the guys mentions the fact that that he last year heard a cougar, and uh, and so uh, you know we're sitting there, and I said, well, you know, I wanted to find out more about this cougar you speak of, and uh, and he uh, and he said, man, he said it's just, he said it's a terrible sound. He said I'm not gonna lie, it sent chills up me. And there's kind of two different areas where we hunt. There's 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 really it's in the hill country. And so there's little, I guess you'd say, big, big hills or small, small mountains and uh, just rocky hills. And, uh, and what I like to, the, the mountain goats and stuff is what I want to see. So I always stay there and everybody jokes about that's my stand. And a lot of the other people kind of hunt down in the flats and kind of the grasslands and uh, where most of the deer are. Well, the, apparently the cougar kind of likes the rocks and to hang out. So I kind of always had it in the back of my mind. Now, I'm sitting on top of a little hill and um, in this little wooden box is sitting on the floor. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching. There's just deer everywhere. It's not like here. If, if we moved a bunch of rednecks down there, they would just, they would kill them all. Because, you know, I mean, there's just deer everywhere. And, uh, and so I'm watching and uh, had almost kind of got a little bit sleepy, kind of almost ready to doze off. And, and this is what I hear. Now, the minute that I hear that, I'm like, it's over for me. <laughs> and every fear that could wrap up inside of me, and I wanted to say, Hey, I'm a big boy. I'll take care of this. You know, I'll shoot them and on. Let me tell you what I did. I took my rifle and I threw it in the corner of the stand. I reached into my backpack and grabbed my pistol that I kept in my backpack. I turned around and I kicked the door open. And I was standing there just waiting on it in case it came around the corner. Because if this cougar came to me, he may get me, but I was fixing to scare the mess out of him by shooting at him. And, 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 so, and so I say that to say this, uh, our circumstances can drastically change in a very quick instant. I think that one of the things that is very profound about men of God in the Bible 
as though their circumstances changed drastically in short, amount, short amounts of time, their attitude and devotion to God did not. One of the things that I believe God has been teaching me, I've, I've said this before, I like to preach out of my quiet times. I like to preach out of what God is really hammering my tail about. And one of the things that over the last couple of years I feel like God has been really hammering me is kind of, I've kind of coined it, circumstantial Christianity. And he's been teaching me, Josh, because of your circumstances, that should not define your Christianity. We're going to look at, we're going to look at a scripture, and I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll be honest, this morning, 845 is, like, you know, we get up here early for, for staff meeting, and it's still really, I'm not a morning person, and so this morning, I forgot, I didn't take my medicine, I forgot my glasses, um, and I didn't realize it till I got all the way to Ruston, and I couldn't see the road, and I couldn't see, wondering why the, all the signs were blurry, and it was like, oh, I don't have my glasses on, and so I printed off like really big, because I couldn't read my Bible this morning when I was sitting there, so I'm going to read it off a sheet of paper this morning, but we are in uh, Acts chapter 16, if you want to, uh, if you want to flip there. Um, while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you this. This is a passage that if you've been in church any amount of time, you have probably heard over and over and over and over again. And you've probably heard it preached several times. I'm going to ask you to kind of play a game with me this morning. Not kickball, not dodgeball, but this. I'm going to ask you this morning to zero out everything that you've ever heard or thought about with this passage. Because I think the tendency we have sometimes, if we're not careful, when we've heard a passage and heard, read a passage a bunch and heard a passage preached a lot, that we get in our heads, we got this, we understand this, all right? So let's not look at this as storing memory in our memory bank, but let's look and see how we can apply this in our actions in our life. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 16, and uh, we're going to start with verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, I'm going to tell you, this starts preaching hard right off the start, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory walking into this. Paul and Silas had been on, um, were in the middle of a mission, and they, right before this, had been going and walking through the streets, and they met this slave girl who was demon-possessed, that was a fortune teller, and that made a lot of money for her master, okay? So she made a lot of money for her master. They met her, you know, had conversations, and the girl, obviously, they knew that she was possessed by her actions and by what she said. And, and, and so, eventually, Paul goes back to her and says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave this girl. Well, immediately, the slave girl who was possessed by a demon and told fortunes through the power of that demon was worthless to her master. And so her master was mad, started a controversy, Paul and Silas are in prison. That's where we're at right now, okay? Right off the bat, we see in verse 25 that around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. This is why I say that this passage starts preaching hard right out of the gate. Paul and Silas were not in some good circumstances. And they had every reason to look and say, poor pitiful me. 
I'm trying to do God's work. I'm trying to share God's love. I'm trying to make Christ known to these people. And because I just did that, I just got a beating. And now I'm in prison. Actually, they were not just in prison. They were locked in what they was the lowest cell. I, I found a picture of it, but I, I didn't. It wasn't really. You couldn't tell much from it. Basically, they were in the lowest cell of the prison, in the center, in the very bottom. That was where the most dangerous criminals were held because it was the most secure. If you think about, uh, these were not prisons that had, you know, insulation and, and concrete between floors or whatever. It was probably stones, very porous. And the, so the fact is that probably any, anything, whether it be water or any body fluids, and, and I, this is not... I'm just I'm just throwing this out there, you know, because it's probably very true. Uh, would have worked its way down to this bottom cell wherever it, where it held. So you've got probably the nastiest place that you could possibly be, and they're in shackles. Their feet are in shackles, and they're chained up to against the wall. And so for every reason, they had a reason to, to say, "Why, God, are you putting me?" in this circumstance. But they didn't. They were singing and they were having a worship service in the bottom of that jail cell. Why is that? I believe that this I believe that this is the reason why. For Paul and Silas at that day and time in that very moment, they did not let their circumstances define their Christianity. They let their Christianity define how they reacted to their circumstances. I'm going to say that one more time. They did not let their circumstances define their Christianity. They let their Christianity define how they reacted to their circumstances. For me, over the years, it's been very easy. And I think you would agree with me that this would be true in your life as well. Because I think it's our human nature. It's very easy for us to take. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying like Jekyll and Hyde here, two completely different lives. But it's really easy for us to be at church and to be one particular way. And to be away from church and maybe with a group of friends and let things slide that we would never let slide at church. It's, it's really easy to say that this is how we should handle money in church. But when it's our business, and it's not big, huge tax fraud evasion, but it's a little bit easier for us to handle money, maybe not the most upright way, because when it's not in church. But if it was in church, it would be like, oh my gosh, somebody needs to be hung. Maybe we would never talk to... I know if you're a guy, talk to, a, talk to another lady or flirt with another lady at church because this is God's house. But hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm just kind of flirting with this girl in the office a little bit. And we could go on and on and on. But if that's ever been the case for us, I believe that we suffer from circumstantial Christianity. Our goal is to not do that. And so what I would tell you, kind of my first big point that's going to be on the screen, is don't live a circumstantial Christianity lifestyle. It's easy. 
We should seek every day not to live a circumstantial Christianity lifestyle. And this is what Paul and Silas were doing. Now, how were they able, how were they able to do that? How were they able to spend time worshiping God in the middle of that jail cell with those horrible conditions, probably with sores all over their bodies from being beaten? And I believe it was the joy of Christ welling up with inside of them. You cannot just say, you cannot just say, I'm going to be on fire for God all the time, every day. This is how I'm going to live. By our simple statement of that saying we're going to do that, it really does not mean anything. There has to be practice that goes behind that. There has to be constant time of us spending time with God, a committed time every day that we are growing a relationship with Christ and that we are developing a, 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 um, a love relationship with the Savior of the world. And when those situations happen, we don't have to try to put on a show what, because we're not going to be able to when tough situations happen. Whatever is going on inside of us is naturally going to come out. I always say, I, always, I used to kind of tell students this, I could take an orange and I could hollow the orange out and I could fill it full of whipped cream and I could show them the orange and say, what's this? And they say, it's an orange. And I said, are you sure it's an orange? And they're like, yeah, it's an orange. And then mash the orange and whipped cream comes out because it's, and, I, and I would go on to explain that this is an orange from the appearance but when the pressure happens and stuff starts caving, whatever's really honestly going on on the inside of you is going, is going to come out. Let's take a step forward. Verse 26. It says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. There's a couple of really big things going on. If you remember in verse 25, it says, When they were at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to the Lord, and the other prisoners were listening. When the earthquake happened and the chains were off and everything was free and their bondage was gone, they had the opportunity to run. But what was interesting is Paul's last statement right there, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. Not just me and Silas, we are all here. And, and I've often wondered why, okay, these other prisoners, they were obviously in there. They were in the worst spot of the jail, so they were in jail with the worst of the worst criminals in the cell. And so everybody in that cell had the opportunity to leave. Why were those other prisoners here? I think it was directly tied to the fact that they were listening to Paul and Silas when they were having their worship service on the front end. And it wasn't just that they were singing songs. I think, that, I think the fact that they knew that if they could sing songs and pray and be so devoted to God in a situation like they were in, that something must be going on real with inside of them. And when something is going on real with inside of us, people naturally want to know what it is. And I'm not saying a show. I'm not saying, like, us putting on a show. Because I'm telling you, I'm, I, man, I'm never going to... I live life putting on a show for a long time. And I was really good at it. But I didn't attract anybody because it was just a show. But when, when, when things are going on real with you and God... 
And you can praise God in the storm, I guess like the song says, but literally in the jail cell. And it is a real situation for you. People notice and they, people, people are looking for hope in this world. And these criminals that were in the toughest spot they could possibly be in stayed because they were attracted to what was going on with Paul and Silas and God at that very time. The jailer was going to kill himself. The reason the jailer was going to kill himself was because in that day and time, if you had a prisoner escape from you, then you suffered the sentence of what that prisoner was going to be facing. Now, Paul and Silas may have not been facing the death sentence at that very point in time, but they, they may not have been facing the death sentence for this, but they remember they were in the jail cell with the hardest of hard criminals. They didn't, it didn't take a lot for you to get killed in that day and time. The death sentence was thrown out pretty easy. So the chances of there being at one or multiple people in there that were fixing to get the axe was probably pretty strong. And so the jailer, rather than go through the torture of what he was fixing to have to face, said, I'm going to pull my sword and I'm going to finish this so I don't have to go through the suffering. But, but that didn't happen because everyone was there. And I will tell you this one more point. Our, the true Christianity affects those people that are around us. And that's just, that's just what I said. But I'm terrible at always getting points out on time. And so you can write that down if you want to or just whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. And um, kind of wrapping this together and tying this in is where I think we see the most profound part of the story. I think that the next couple of verses that we're wrapping up with is where everything comes together. It's what makes this story God. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all that lived in his household. And I'm going to ask you this question right off the, point, right off the bat, and, 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 and I think it's big. Are you naturally ready to share your faith? Are you naturally, at, at a given moment, are you naturally ready to share your faith? I'm going to tell you, sharing your faith is one of the toughest things that you, uh, that, that it's, it's, a, it's a tough discipline with Christianity. But it's what we're called to do. If we believe that Jesus said, that we should love other people. We've got to believe that Jesus said in the Great Commission to go and tell the world. And we can't separate those two things because we're really easy at compartmentalizing. But God is God and Jesus is Jesus and what he says is true and it's across the board. He doesn't put this sin over this sin, you know. And, and, it, and, and, and so our job is to share Christ with people. Paul and Silas took in the middle of that situation where they had just been beaten and no telling what that jailer had done to them in the, in, the, in the moments before the earthquake. He probably was not the nicest guy. He probably wasn't making them lattes and creme brulees to bring down to them, you know. But the jailer was so impacted by not only Paul and Silas, but the impact that he had on the other people that were in the jail cell, he came and he said, I want what you've got. How do I get it? And this is a verse that me and Addie and Janelle say every night together. 
Believe in the Lord and you will be saved, you and your family. Every night. Because we want as a family to, for, for it to be a reminder for us that we should be about telling people about Christ. And at that very moment, Paul and Silas, who were just in chains, just beaten, just sitting in probably half of a cesspool, went through an earthquake, had a chance to escape, didn't do it, were sitting there talking to the guy that was holding them captive and said, this is how you come to Christ. And they told it to him in love, and then they went to his house, and they told the rest of his family the same thing. And what's interesting is you see that the jailer, right after this, starts cleaning their wounds. He starts taking care of them. The same guys that he was holding captive, the same guys that he may have had a part in beating and causing those wounds, he is now taken and wiping clean with water and cleaning those wounds because when we truly give our lives to Christ, it is not a decision on a card. It is not a few steps down an aisle. It is not, it's, it's not just even a statement. It is a complete supernatural life change that the old is gone and the new has come. And so the same guy that tore and caused scars is the same guy that's cleaning them up because Christ affects our lives. My question for us in this room, for myself included, is God affecting our lives like that today for us? Do we have a passion to see that happen in people's lives? Do we have a passion to go across the board, no matter who they are, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their color, no matter their race, no matter their gender? Do we have a passion for people? Because I'm going to tell you, if we take and say that Jesus was a middle-class white guy with a white, you know, white collar, we're, we were, were wrong. But I think in our minds, it's really easy for us to place that and say that. And I asked this question to our students on Wednesday. We're talking a little bit about this. I, I used it on them before I used it on y'all. They're my testers. And um, all right, let's say the government came in. Now, I'm saying, you know, let's say the government came in and gave us some regulations for church. And, and before you say, let's throw a flag up, don't tread on me. Hang on just a second. And... But let's not say that they're running church. Well, let's say they give us some regulations for what church should look like, okay? Well, let's say city, whatever. We have some regulations. And one of the things is we're going to have one church in Ruston. One church, one church only. And at this one church, this is how it's going to look. You're going to have a one-hour time slot. You're going to have a one-hour time slot for church to take place, which, hey, we're Baptists. We're all about a perfect one-hour time slot. So we'd be like, hey, man, you know? And, uh, but... At this time slide, you've got 25 minutes scheduled for preaching. We're all about that, too. You're going to have an offering time, and you're able to do four songs. And these four songs are going to come out of the, because we are going back to our founding fathers, they are going to come out of the 1776 Broadman Hymnal, the good, real deal stuff. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Alright, it would be it would be as it would be the traditional service, the rock star traditional service, okay? It would be what it is. We'd be happy maybe. Now let me take and flip that real quick. What if we had an hour time slot, twenty five minutes preaching, ten minute offering, you know, special singing, whatever like that? But we could not use any type of a hymn and it had to be the most ultra contemporary I mean they had flipping stuff that computer guitars, I, I don't know. 
but it, it was the most ultimate contemporary service that you could ever wrap your head around. And, I mean, blow the doors off. I mean, stuff cotton in your ears before you come in so that you don't pop an eardrum. Would you be excited about it? Don't answer that out loud. But honestly, if that's what it was set up as, and it was still all praising God, it was all directed towards God, would we be excited about that? And my question, kind of where I'm getting at with this, is if we would have great hesitation about that, and we'd say, well, that's that's not what we want, that's not... I'm going to tell you that we're, at some level probably we're dealing with a little circumstantial Christianity because we want, Christ, we want our Christianity like we want it. Paul and Silas' choice would not probably have to... Their idea of the perfect worship service was not to stand in line and get a beating and get thrown in a cesspool and get thrown in feet and shackles and say, oh, well, we're, we're ready to worship now, God, you know? Because... It was more about God than it was about them. And I think a problem today, if we're not careful, is we want Christ to look like us more than we want to look like Christ. I love First Baptist Trusted. The last nine years, I mean, I look back, there's been great times. There's been, there's been some tough times for me. But I love First Baptist Trusted. I believe in First Baptist Trusted. And there's nothing more that I want to see for First Baptist Ruston than a group of people that say we want to look more like Christ than we want Christ to look like us. And to do whatever it takes to get to that spot. So my question is, how do you respond to that? I think the way that we respond to that is to take an honest look at it and say, where, where am I missing the mark with this? Is my Christianity real? Is it, is it affecting me? Is it affecting those around me? Am I more worried about how I want church to be than, than just making sure that church is the way that God wants it to be? And then taking steps to improve that. And that's what an invitation time is. An invitation time is not a time where we sit. At, you know, I think, I think for when I was growing up, invitation time meant that I was, like, when I knew that the invitation time, it meant that it was almost lunchtime. And, and so that always has excited me for 33 years. And, uh... 32 years, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and so it's always excited me, but an invitation time is just a time that is a very open time for us to respond to God. One of the things that I think, I believe that Baptists have a great doctrine about them, I think they, that Baptists have a very biblical doctrine about them, the thing that I don't like about Baptists is that we have a pride about us that we want everybody to think everything is going great in our lives when really we're all a mess at some point in some way. I encourage you as we go into this invitation time, don't, don't, don't let that pride be what holds us back from being able to respond to God. You don't have to come up here to the front and pray, but I'm going to tell you that there's something powerful about coming and getting on your knees before God Almighty and saying, God, this is where I'm failing. This is what I desire for for my life to look like. And, and, and God, I'm coming to you broken saying, fix me. So I encourage you as we go into this invitation time, Wayne's going to come on up. And I encourage you as we go into this invitation time, whether it be here, whether it be there, whether you go, go lay in the parking lot, but tell somebody if you're going to go lay in the parking lot because they're going to think you died. And, and don't, so don't, don't go out there and just lay. But wherever you want to get, I just encourage you to approach God. 
I encourage you to take this opportunity to, to approach God and, 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 and to do business with God. I'm going to pray for us as we go into our invitation. As, we're, as we've got our heads bowed, I just, I just want to ask you the question, are you confident in your relationship with Christ? One of the great measures, if we have a relationship with Christ, is how it's affecting our lives daily. If it's not really affecting our lives, I have to ask the question, is it real? It's either not real or we've gotten really, really far away from it. Either way, business needs to be done. Are you confident in that? Are you willing to let your desire for God trump your pride? Are there things in life that we just need to handle? We just need to do business with. I hope there's stuff every single day in my quiet time that I have to do business with God and handle. If you've never given your life to Christ, this fact of saying, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me to forgive me of those sins. God, I'm asking for you to redeem me right now, to forgive those sins. Because right now, the best way I know how I want to commit my life to you. And I'm going to pray that. And I would love for you, if you know that you're not a believer in Christ, or, or that there's no fruit going on inside of you, to pray that with me. And say, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me. And God, I'm asking for you to forgive me. I'm repenting of my sins. I want to turn completely away from my sins and turn completely towards you. Right now, the best way I know how, I commit my life 100% to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand. There'll be ministers at the front. You don't have to talk to one of us. If you want to come down and spend some time praying, please do that. Just do business with God. Let's stand together.